so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Apparently, I uh, I got the photo. <laughs> You're reading a photo <laughs> credit. <description. laughs> It's a real Ron Burgundy moment there. There you go. <laughs> and as you can see, Barrett has her right hand raised. <laughs> Which, it's a podcast. No, nobody can see the picture. That's, that's, that's the joke. That's why it's so funny, Lindsay Nicolay. All right. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we are talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everybody. And Brent Leatherwood. Howdy, everyone. Man, guys, it is, uh, it's going to be a fun podcast. We are right at the end of election season. Uh, This is our last podcast before the election. I'm sure Brent will have a lot to talk to us about uh, or a lot to say to us about that. And our special guest for the week is actually Tennessee's uh, Secretary of State, who is responsible for overseeing the way that the election runs here in our state. His name is Trey Hargett, and we're looking forward to that conversation later in the show. But so that we can get into it, Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. So to kick it off, we have an article by Jason Thacker, our very own uh, technological expert, as we like to dub him. And he has written an article titled, What is Our Role in Social Media Renewal, Online Discourse and Loving Our Neighbors? And of course, it's appropriate because right now, as we continue to talk about online can just be a cesspool. It can be it can be redeemed, it can be used for good, but it can also be used for some bad. And as Jason says, it can bring out sometimes the best in humanity and the worst in humanity. So he starts off his article referencing how um, one CEO sent out a uh, an email to people that use his software and basically saying you must vote for this candidate or else America is going to, you know, fall into the depths of despair, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Jason just addresses how this type of rhetoric makes us wary of technology and the actors behind technology. But Jason also calls us to not point the finger outside of us, but to take a look internally at our role in public discourse and how we are behaving. And then ultimately, uh, he calls us to be a catalyst for change by slowing down on social media and taking a few simple steps to help reshape how we as citizens of the United States use social media and how we view our fellow fellow human beings as being made in God's image. 
obviously that's something that's really important, Lindsay. And Jason spends a lot of his time looking at the way that social media affects the, not just the way that we see the world, but the way that we relate to other people. And in this article, uh, he, he really does a good job of pointing us back at something that Jesus told us is, is foundational for Christians. It, it's the most basic thing of, of treating other people well and specifically uh, loving our neighbors. And so I'm really grateful that he wrote that. It's definitely a challenge on social media because we don't see our neighbors face to face. But again, that's one of the challenges of uh, slowing down and thinking first before we type. So next up, covering a different topic, this is by um, a lady named Kendall Connor, which it's funny when articles come across my email because Kendall, I knew of her from a ministry where I used to work. Kendall is on staff at a church, and she's written an article titled, How to Talk to Your Teen About Race. This article is really thorough and very helpful. Um, she runs through some uh, some concerns that parents that she interacts with and leaders that she interacts with often have. Um, she tells us that Gen Z... Well, this is her quote. She says, while Gen Z may be a generation consumed with the idea of justice, they are also a generation who knows little of its author. This is why we who know the God of righteousness must speak about issues of justice with our teenagers. When justice is found outside of the gospel, it is not true justice. And when the gospel we speak is void of justice, it is less than biblical. And I thought that was just a great quote and so true as to what we are called to as those who would disciple teenagers. This article also has a PDF attached to it with further resources, further discussion points. So once again, it is very thorough. So if you're a parent, if you're a youth pastor, a youth leader, um, you could really utilize the resources in this article. This is a helpful piece. And Lindsay, the reason I think it's helpful is because as a parent, I'm trying to have uh, helpful conversations, constructive conversations, formative conversations with my own children uh, about race and um, and how that kind of difference is actually illustrative of uh, just how much God loves us. You know, and I just want to plug for the for the audience the fact that you know we we always try to feature we feature so many writers on ERLC.com and Lindsay. That's your your excellent work there. This is just good writing. Uh, I've been struck by this one sentence from this piece that I've that I've reflected on a number of times uh, that that you quoted there. But when she says, "When justice is found outside of the gospel, it's not true justice," and when the gospel we speak is void of justice, it's less than biblical. That's not only true, but it's it's beautiful truth that that has resonated with me, and I think it will likely resonate with a lot of our listeners. Yes, and sometimes you know living that out, thinking through that and walking that out is hard. And that's why I appreciate uh, the practical helps in this article and the additional resources that are attached um, through the PDF. And then finally, we've been highlighting the last few weeks, our ethics primer series, where we're highlighting different books that can help people develop a foundational understanding of ethics and different um, ethical issues. And so this latest one is by Dennis Greeson. His article is, How Do We Rightly Relate Church and State, Augustine on the Times in Between. So he's written on a book about Augustine and how he is thinking through these things. One of the things I appreciate is that he talks about the different temptations that we have as believers and the different extremes that we tend to swing to when it comes to church and state. And then, of course, he breaks down... Uh, Augustine's thought, according to this book, and just helps us to wrap our minds around how we should think about the relationship between church and state. 
you know, for Christians on the subject of church and state, there there is hardly a more formative uh, voice than St. Augustine. And this is a really good, uh, this book that Dennis is highlighting is a really good introduction to Augustine's thought because the most significant place that we see Augustine speak about his views on Christians and the state is actually his magnificent and famous work, uh, City of God or the City of God Against the Pagans. And that work is unbelievably long and not the most, uh, you know, user-friendly text that you can imagine. So this is a really good introduction to that to set you up for, you know, I would recommend every Christian some point in the course of their life, you should try to read Augustine's City of God. It's it's amazing, but it is not first day stuff. And so this is a really, really good uh, introduction to Augustine's thought on the subject. And I would add there, uh, it's probably going to be a little hard to do between now and next Tuesday, but I do think uh, Christians should lean more into Augustine as they think through uh, engaging the wider public square and and how we need to have a good framework uh, for doing that. And what are his big his big tome or what is that City of God City of Man? Anyway, I always yes. have these high lofty goals of maybe one day reading that, but. Alas, I'm still trying to make my way through confessions. But I will say that these books so far have been great recommendations, so helpful, and ones that I plan to add to my uh, reading list as soon as I get done with confessions. (laughs) So that's just a little smattering of the articles that we have going on at URLC.com. Of course, you're really going to want to pay attention next week because it's going to be a big week. But as always, we're thankful to be able to provide you, our listeners, and I guess our readers, with articles that will help you just think biblically about the different ethical, cultural, moral issues that are going on around us and that are extremely complex. So Josh, Brent, that's what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And Brent, man, with your former political background and all that's going on in not just the world of culture, but electoral politics this week, man, it's a big week for you. So tell us what's going on. (laughs) It would have been a big week for me had I been in my old life, uh, but uh, thankfully I just get to watch from the sidelines uh, like the rest of us, because it is kind of like a movie, 2020, the screenwriters, they're just, they're just mapping out our plot lines in our lives. Okay, well, one big Hopefully plot line- Hopefully there's not going to be a sequel to 2020, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not. Uh, if it does, it needs to star uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Nice. So I would watch that. There you go. Um, all right. Well, one plot line uh, that we all were interested in and how it would be resolved was the vacant Supreme Court seat uh, that was left in the wake of Justice Ginsburg's passing. And it was officially filled this past week. Uh, CNN reports that new Justice Amy Coney Barrett recited the judicial oath Tuesday morning in a swearing-in ceremony administered by Chief Justice John Roberts, officially beginning her tenure as the 115th Justice uh, on the Supreme Court uh, all time, uh, and was greeted with a request to recuse herself from a key election-related case. The ceremony took place in the East Conference Room of the Supreme Court, uh, her official swearing-in followed her uh, her public uh, unveiling as a as a new justice uh, that occurred at the White House with President Trump, who who nominated uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. So, 
the good news is uh, for um, you know any of these high-profile cases that are coming to the court, both in in this term and in future years, uh, there are now nine Supreme Court justices. We now have a full bench, uh, which is a good thing. Those those cases that end in uh, four to four ties uh, tend to leave everyone in a state of kind of scratching their head. That's right, Brent. And I I said that just for Lindsay. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what a great thing to see Justice Barrett uh, confirmed on the court. The ERLC has supported her as a nominee and recognized uh, since, you know, her name was placed on a short list, her just unbelievable qualifications and the fact that she will undoubtedly make an excellent justice. And to see that the Supreme Court is now back at full strength with nine justices, uh, that is like you said, especially going into a fairly contentious moment or potentially contentious moment in American life, we are grateful to have the Supreme Court at full strength. I kind of feel like that old episode of Saved by the Bell where uh, Jesse is singing that she's so excited. That's kind of how I feel about Justice Barrett being on the court. <laughs> I don't remember that episode, but there's going to be a Saved by the Bell reunion, apparently. Uh, it's like a remake. Like they're like bringing it back on Peacock, I think, which is like NBC's NBC. streaming app. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't watched the promo for that, it, it's very interesting. There you go. We we went from I mean, we just ran the gamut with culture right there. <laughs> OK, we, we went from we went from a Supreme Court justice nomination to you know streaming services the governor of california that's that's what's up in this new thing it's as far as i understand so say by the bells coming back and supreme court is back in action we're just firing on all cylinders on the urlc podcast okay what were you gonna say Lindsay? uh yeah a lot of the friends that i have are um excited about this she just seems like a stand-up woman we don't we have no way of knowing how she is going to rule um on future cases but Regardless, right now, it's clear that she's qualified, but also more than that, she is just a role model for our daughters, for our little girls. She's just a family woman, seems to be faithful, and so I'm excited to have somebody like her on the Supreme Court. I got to tell you one thing. This has nothing to do with her uh, judicial philosophy. It has just more to do with the fact she is the first Supreme Court justice, at least amongst uh, this current group that we have, that was not educated at an Ivy League school, right? I mean, that that kind of gives me hope that maybe someday, like a like a Lindsay Nicolay that went to the very blue collar University of Florida, maybe 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 she could be installed on the Supreme Court someday. I'm not sure you would want me on the Supreme Court, <laughs> <laughs> although my pedigree. Uh, from University of Florida would more than qualify me. Thank you very much. That's right. That's Evolve. right. Well, I mean, as they say, the University of Florida, it is the Harvard of Alachua County. So, um, all right, moving on to another a big story that was talked about towards the end of this week. Do you remember Anonymous, uh, the, the individual uh, who was uh, supposedly a high-ranking official within the Trump administration who pinned uh, some some pretty uh, compelling uh, opinion pieces in the New York Times and then later came out with a book. Well, that person has now been unmasked or, or revealed, if you will. Miles Taylor uh, has come forward and revealed himself to be anonymous, the mysterious Washington official who is going to be working within the administration to restrain 
President Donald Trump's impulses for the good of the country. So uh, this this was something that was talked about particularly in the media circles uh, around the Beltway, and I just thought it was interesting because one of the one of the kind of uh, spats that kind of occurred on social media was whether uh, Miles Taylor should have been recognized as a senior administration official. Uh, and I don't know, it was, it was just a pretty, it's probably pretty inside baseball. Ultimately, it's not going to have much of an effect on anyone's kind of vote or the electoral outcome, but it it was interesting to see different individuals in the media take one another to task over this. It has been, you know, the subject of so much, uh, speculation and it had kind of died down. Like we had basically forgotten about this entire anonymous phenomena, but yesterday when it, when the news came out, it was interesting because he had, you know, this this guy, Miles Taylor, had issued like flat denials on television telling people that he definitely wasn't uh, this person. He even had some kind of really sarcastic quote about not wearing masks except during a pandemic and maybe Halloween or something. And turns out, oh, yeah, well, it really was him. So anyway, I'm glad to know mystery solved. But I, like you said, Brian, I don't think it's going to have any kind of big like long term effects. All right. Well, th- speaking of effects, uh, we're all talking at this point about the election. Uh, the election is occurring next Tuesday. Go vote. Uh, if you're able, we, we always want to encourage folks to go vote. Uh, but uh, at this point, nearly everyone is talking about it. There are a number of states that are in play. The Republican nominee, President Trump, is crisscrossing the country, doing rallies in various locations, and so is his opponent, uh, Democratic nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, is also crisscrossing the country. Uh, I believe on Thursday of this week, both of them were actually in the state of Florida, uh, just a few miles from one another in Tampa, uh, trying to turn out that that crucial vote uh, that we seem to talk about every four years along the I-4 corridor uh, in, in Florida. So uh, this, is, this is probably going to be the main story that uh, will drown out just about everything uh, over the next five days uh, until we have a resolution. And Josh, I think you've you've said previously uh, you're you're praying for, you know, regardless of how it turns out, just Lord, give us a a clear conclusion to this uh, so that there won't necessarily be weeks and weeks of uncertainty. And that's probably a good thing for us all to be to be praying for at this point. Well, I think, again, I'm no expert, but I think it's important for us to know that ultimately we can have confidence in the voting process. Uh, I was watching the news this morning and they were interviewing several different officials who were saying, yes, you know, you can have bad faith actors, et cetera, et cetera, but there's no reason as the public that you should distrust the results of of our elections. You can have faith that we that we know what we're doing and we're taking care of it. I think that's a really good point, Lindsay. And one of the reasons we wanted to have uh, Secretary Hargett on the podcast today was to talk about how elections happen and how we can make sure that they have, uh, that they take place with integrity and that, that our votes are counted accurately uh, the way they're supposed to be. And this is not something, Brent, like you mentioned, this is not something that, that Christians should uh, take lightly. We should absolutely pray that there would be a clear election result that there would, you know, ideally I would love to go to bed on Tuesday night of next week, knowing who the winner of the election is. 
there have been times in our pa- in, in our country's past where election results have been unclear, and that has led to a lot of uncertainty and uh, steaming instability. And I was listening to even even last night uh, a podcast that was reflecting on uh, the 2000 election, with, where the uh, results from the state of Florida were very contested between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And at at the end, when it was all over, President Bush or then candidate Bush came to the microphone and said, I'm grateful to live in a nation where we can resolve these things uh, through a process, through a legal process, instead of with violence, instead of resorting to anything else. Uh, And, you know, so as we're looking at the election coming up next week, we should, we should be praying as Christians to that end, that God would give us a, uh, a clear election result and that he would, if, you know, spare us the uncertainty and the potential for any kind of civil unrest. Well, you're you're absolutely right there. And look, one one state that is certainly under the microscope is Pennsylvania. So there's been a lot of back and forth. You can uh, do some investigation there in terms of uh, what is going to happen with ballots and the uh, extra steps that voters who are choosing to vote via mail uh, have to uh, do to ensure that their absentee ballot is is counted appropriately. Well. There's another event that could have an influence on turnout, especially right around Philadelphia, uh, that has occurred this week, and it's another lamentable one. So NPR is reporting that several hundred troops from the Pennsylvania National Guard are being deployed to Philadelphia at the at the county's request there in, in Pennsylvania amid unrest following the shooting of a black man uh, this past Monday. Walter Wallace, 27, was killed after officers responded to emergency calls Monday afternoon in West Philadelphia. The city's mayor and police commissioner have promised a full investigation into the incident. Unfortunately, violent clashes between police and demonstrators erupted soon after the shooting. Uh, It's too soon uh, yet to say if if this is going to have an effect on uh, whether folks are able to safely get to the polls next Tuesday uh, or or whether it drives more folks to to try and turn in uh, mail ballots. Uh, But it is it is certainly adding pressure and and, and yet another variable uh, to to what is a highly contentious moment there. And uh, obviously. Uh, the the situation it, itself is just uh, lamentable once again. It is, Brent. And it's difficult to believe that we're here again having a similar conversation. And even this week, as we're watching this unfold uh, in the aftermath of another tragic situation, we're seeing, uh, like you said, violent clashes and instances of, of looting and things being set on fire. There was even a Southern Baptist church uh, that was damaged as a result of the, the strife that is taking place in the aftermath of this tragedy. And so... It is obviously sad. Who knows like what kind of impact it's going to have on the election or even on this community, but certainly there is just a lot of grief and suffering taking place. So uh, that's uh, that's probably a good point to, to end on in terms of the election and um, just some of the, the different cultural events that are, are going on around this. Uh, and so hopefully uh, next Tuesday will provide us some certainty in a year where uncertainty has been high. And that is due in part to what we've all seen with coronavirus. So CNN gave this helpful recap, and I thought it was a good summary to just kind of provide where we are. 
The fall surge in COVID-19 infections added nearly half a million cases to the U.S. national total in just one week. That, that is our highest total throughout the entire pandemic. Uh, despite surging U.S. cases, the White House included ending the pandemic on a list of the Trump administration's science and tech accomplishments. Now, look, I think there's actually a lot to uh, be thankful for, particularly as it relates to um, uh, the process of creating a vaccine. This Operation Warp Speed, uh, many analysts are starting to feel pretty bullish that we will have discovered an effective vaccine uh, by the end of this year, early next year, which hopefully just shortens the window for it getting it out uh, to where all of us uh, will have access to it. Uh, so that is certainly an accomplishment. We're probably not at a place where uh, we can we could say that the pandemic is uh, is ended uh, because it does appear that we are looking at a really hard winter uh, that is on its way. And potentially what we are looking at is maybe what is happening in Europe right now. Uh, so this week on the international front, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron announced on Wednesday a second nationwide lockdown uh, beginning on Friday to contain the coronavirus. Uh, Axios is reporting, you know, why does this matter? France has been overpowered by a second wave, Macron said in his national address in the middle of the week, noting that this new wave will be stronger and deadlier than what uh, France first encountered. The announcement comes after the country saw over 36,000 new cases in the last 24 hours. In addition to France, Germany is also seeking to thwart a second wave by closing restaurants and bars across the country there. So, uh, you know, this this may be a preview of what is unfortunately to come here in the United States. Which is discouraging. <laughs> There's no way around it. <laughs> uh, we thought we would be done with this in uh, 2020. In fact, uh, there are several people that I've heard from that think it's going to be over after the election, though I'm not sure that that's the case. But uh, it is discouraging to see it probably roll into 2021. It's challenging to keep perspective, to be patient with one another, loving and kind toward one another. I guess the hopeful message in the midst of all this is it will end eventually, uh, and we can be thankful for this Operation Warp Speed, and uh, hopefully we can pray as believers that the Lord will help them develop a vaccine soon. That is definitely what I'm praying, Lindsay. Um, I pray that a vaccine will be available as soon as it is safe and possible and that distribution will go well. Uh, this is one of those things that, man, Christians got it right. Uh, there were a lot of Christian leaders early on in the pandemic that were saying that as time goes on, relationships are going to get frayed. You're going to experience a lot of strain and trying to, between people who think that people are taking the virus way too seriously or people who are thinking that we're not taking the virus seriously enough. And what we need is a whole lot of grace and understanding and compassion uh, that even though for many of us, we have grown fatigued with this, we just need to continue to exercise patience and understanding and forbearance uh, with those who, regardless of where they fall on the spectrum or where you fall on the spectrum, just just remember that that everyone is trying to face something that is for, for many of us, you know, a very scary thing. And if you are the kind of person who thinks that the virus is, is really not that big of a deal or just something to get through, uh, still have charity and patience uh, for those around you who, who might think that it represents a more significant threat. 
so listen, while we're on the international front, I thought this definitely uh, bared mentioning uh, for our audience. So uh, some interesting news to come out of Russia. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a pro-life autocrat. The reason you probably haven't is because that, that's a bit of an oxymoron. But uh, this week, Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered the government to do more to reduce the number of abortions in the country by offering more support to pregnant women. Increased funding for organizations which offer effective support to women in crisis pregnancies and improving the provision of legal, psychological, and medical assistance to pregnant women are outlined as key measures in Putin's order, which was published on Saturday. And and this comes uh, from the website Right to Life uh, UK. But, you know, Putin ordering the government to do more on life is kind of like uh, me yelling at my family that we need to do more yard work. Uh, My wife and kids would rightly look at me like, okay, that's that's your responsibility. I mean, like, Putin is the government, just so anyone's clear. uh, Vladimir Putin is the government uh, in Russia at this point. They are, uh, with each passing day, less and less like an actual functioning uh, democracy. Uh, And so, not to mention, he kind of cancels out uh, his ability to offer any sort of pro-life guidance when... I don't know, just for example, you're a country that assassinates journalists. Uh, but uh, needless to say, uh, if if this does mean more preborn babies are, are somehow saved over there, I am thankful for that. Uh, but this is, uh, this is certainly an interesting uh, bit of news. You know, not to Jesus juke anybody, but this is why like the whole like whole life pro-life ethic is so important because, you know, I'm, I'm as grateful as anyone to see babies saved anywhere. I want to see, uh, you know, infants and mothers and everyone. I want to see them cared for because I believe in human dignity, but you know, I can't cheer for Vladimir Putin, who is a brutal thug and dictator who assassinates his, uh, political enemies because he, he has made this move while, you know, yes, this is the right thing to do, but if you don't if you don't value human life uh, in its entirety, then this is just absurd. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not something we can cheer for. And so, you know, maybe we could encourage our listeners to pray for the conversion of Vladimir Putin. That's uh, that's actually a good word. Yes, we should pray for him for that. All right. So back on the domestic front, uh, unfortunately, another hurricane came ashore. Ah. Gosh, it just seems like this hurricane season will not end. Hurricane Zeta. Yes, we we are we are, I think we are through the Greek alphabet at this point. Uh, hurricane Zeta has battered southeastern Louisiana and Mississippi with high winds, heavy rain, and life-threatening storm surges, according to the National Hurricane Center. CNN reports that the Category Two storm made landfall with winds of 110 miles per hour. Uh, Thankfully, it quickly weakened as it moved further inland. The eye of the storm passed over New Orleans at roughly 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday night. Uh, I just, gosh, what the the residents of the Gulf Coast have seen so much this year. Uh, It's just incredible that uh, we've, we've got a hurricane this strong coming ashore this late in the year. 
My aunt, I think I've talked about her before, lives in that area, and she had to evacuate. She's had so many hurricanes come her way. She's just paid off her house, and yet they were expecting three to five foot storm surges, I think. So I, I know she's exhausted, as other residents must be, because of the the fallout, too, even the financial fallout that they have, that they're left to deal with. So, the, yeah, it just fits 2020, doesn't it? It absolutely does. All right, moving over to the world of sports. The Dodgers won the World Series four games to two over the Tampa Bay Rays. We mentioned this last week how I was just thankful that we were going to see a successful conclusion to a, a uh, abbreviated 2020 Major League Baseball season. Ultimately, I would have been much happier if my Atlanta Braves uh, had made it to the World Series and done this, but I'm just thankful that uh, we made it to the end of the season. And honestly, it was a pretty entertaining World Series. Uh, It was a head-scratcher, though, because the Rays pulled their starter, even though he was cruising in the midst of the game, and uh, uh, we don't necessarily need to link to it, but he uh, he was not too pleased Uh, when he saw his manager coming uh, to yank him out of the game. And then on the Dodgers side of things, they had to inexplicably pull their star uh, third baseman because in the middle of the game, he tested positive for COVID-19 and Major League Baseball ordered them to pull him off the field. Uh, So Bleacher Report, a sports website, was talking about this in a stunning, sad, yet fitting ending to a season like no other Justin Turner, the heartbeat of the Dodgers, was pulled in the eighth inning of the 3-1 Game 6 clincher after a positive test. An uproar then erupted afterwards when Turner nonetheless joined his teammates for the -the on-the-field celebration and was shown on television removing his mask, potentially uh, exposing teammates and folks on the field to this. Now, he says he's asymptomatic, and I'm sure that they're going to do more testing. And I I guess it's a small blessing that this occurred at the literal end of the season, but it's uh, <laughs> what a what an odd finish. But again, it's 2020, so this is how the plot lines will all come to a close. What a wild thing! And honestly, I mean, this World Series was so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, even as a person who sometimes I, I avoid, like sports Twitter is my least favorite Twitter, but there were so many clips floating around uh, from these games that it was just, it was just fascinating to watch this play out. And the, especially like I saw that with the COVID thing uh, that now the MLB is launching an, invest, an investigation. And I don't really understand what there is to investigate. I think he knew that he had COVID and he went out there anyway. Uh, but who would, you know, going, maybe even contradicting my earlier point, who would be able to stop themselves from joining in on the celebration? Because I don't think I could. All right. This, uh, this last note is a bit of a downer for those of y'all who love Christmas as much as I do. And this comes straight from the blog. Megan, do I have this right? Scary Mama? Is that... Is that really where you pulled this from, Megan? Scary Mama. That's got to be a real thing. Scary Mama is reporting. Well, they're actually reporting on a CBS News statement, so maybe we should refer to that instead. But anyways, uh, CBS or Macy's uh, was reporting, quote, at Macy's, the safety of our customers and colleagues is paramount to replicate the magical experience of visiting Macy's Santa Land for children and their families. We will shift to a virtual engagement this year. That's right, y'all. Wah, wah, wah. Santa is going 
Zoom. <laughs> I mean, okay, just what we know about coronavirus and how it, you know, is spread, it probably makes sense that Santa, an old guy, kids, you know, line up uh, for sometimes hours on end to come sit in his lap, shake his hand, pull his beard, cry a little bit as the, you know, pictures are taken and then get carted off by mommy and daddy uh, to go to a Auntie Anne's pretzel place, get something for the kiddo that's crying. I mean, that that's probably not the wisest thing to do in the middle of a global health crisis. But uh, needless to say, it just... Everything in 2020 just looks a little different than what we're accustomed to. Well, if you were here in good old Nashville, Tennessee, though, you could go to the Opryland Hotel and have a magical experience. Uh, I think they're still running their Christmas stuff. You know, they decorate with all these magical lights and uh, they have Christmas land stuff for the kids. I think I saw that they're still doing it. I'm sure there's going to be limitations on it and you have to wear masks and such but well i'm always thankful to to head over there with my family uh one fun fact they start putting up the lights for opryland the hotel they start putting those up in august each year which is music to your ears oh i love it i, I mean because that's really when the christmas music should start um all of it no. and so um the thing is there's not that much christmas music to play no, like, there is. There, there but there's is. there's not. It's all, it's, I love Christmas music, but it's all the same songs revisited. And I cannot take that from August till December. Well, 25th. no, you just have to, you just have to find. So here's the pro tip. Okay. Mix up your Spotify list with different genres of Christmas music. Right. So you got some in there. It's kind of classical you got some of there, it's bluegrass. You got some of your classic crooners, right? I mean, that's that's how you do it, and it keeps it fresh. Oh, it's so good. Let's uh, let's close it there. Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. This episode of the ERLC podcast was sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of The Christmas We Didn't Expect by David Mathis. 25 Daily Reflections for Advent will help you to adore Jesus, the one who came to save us and make our futures certain. Find out more about this book at thegoodbook.com. Because we've spent so much time talking about elections, and with the election being next week, we wanted to spend some time right now talking to a person who is in the business of making sure that the elections happen the way they're supposed to. Trey Hargett is the Secretary of State for the state of Tennessee, and he is responsible for overseeing all of the voting that's going to be happening that's already taking place right now and will be carrying through until Election Day on Tuesday of next week. And so we are really grateful for him joining us and look forward to talking to him today. Well, Secretary Hargett, we are incredibly excited to have you on the podcast, especially as we're in the middle of election season, which we're going to ask you about in just a minute. But as we're getting started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do as Tennessee Secretary of State? And while you're answering that question, could you also tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season? Wow. Well, it's more than one thing, but I'll try and narrow it down to a couple. So I'm in my 12th year as Secretary of State. I'm elected by the Tennessee General Assembly every four years. I'll be up for re-election in January. Um, father of two, married to one, uh, my wife, Dawn, and two boys, Cole and Connor, and um, I'm a Southern Baptist. 
and just really have the opportunity, uh, I believe, to serve God in this unique way as a public servant in the state of Tennessee, and um, and just honored to have that opportunity. Now, you ask what one of the one thing I'm being taught during this season. You know, I, I'm really trying to drill down on respectfulness and kindness. You know, of course, I, I fail every day, like like all of us do. But you know, during this contentious election season, what I've really been buoyed by as I visit all these counties, is that there's a lot of kindness and respectfulness out there that nobody ever picks up on, nobody ever talks about. And, and I, I just continue to see all, see and witness all these great stories of people who, um, you know, care about their fellow Tennessean and, and look, look beyond the obvious and don't make assumptions about how the other person is going to vote or not going to vote. And it's been really rewarding as I visit these election commissions to see that people living out uh, what are just good moral values and also believe in many cases are Christian values and, um, and being a great example for me as well. Well, that's a lesson all of us could stand to learn, one that certainly uh, is apropos in this season and in this current cultural climate. And as you know, because you're such a faithful listener to our podcast that our podcast focuses on Christians and culture, and you being immersed in um, in the culture of Tennessee and seeking what is good for Tennesseans, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that you're paying attention to right now. So, so could you tell us some of those things in culture that are on your radar the most? Well, I, I tell you what is, is how my radar right now, and especially as we're dealing with misinformation from act, bad actors, both foreign and domestic, is the power of social media and, and the misuse of social media to create discord and disunity and, and create strife and panic among the citizens of our state and our nation. And and you don't have to look any further than probably our own individual social media habits. And you know, Twitter, frankly, is is a toxic, it's a sewer. And and um and I, you know, frankly, I'm probably on Twitter at most for two or three minutes a week, just to check and make sure I've responded to direct messages appropriately. In our office, we have somebody else who, um, you know, keeps track of a lot of those things. But I, I just see this incredible tool that we could use for the forces of good. And instead, it feels like we use it just so we can go and vent and say things that we would never say to anybody else's face. And um, and it's made this election season that much worse, in my opinion. In fact, one of the worst ones of my lifetime, if not the worst just because of how we treat one another on social media. And, and that's what's been really good for me as I get out across the state. And you realize that when people are face-to-face -face and they're together, and it doesn't matter what they look like, what zip code they live in, what kind of car they're driving, how many zeros they do or don't have in a bank account. You know, people are generally good and kind when, when they're around one another. I don't know what it is when we get on social media that allows us to think we can say whatever we want to say and treat people how we want to treat them. And and, and that's something I really, as a father, feel led as well to try and figure out how do I make sure that my children use this tool appropriately. And, and also not just what they put out, but what they consume and, and the messages you get from others and how that affects you internally. So um, that, that's really big on my radar screen right now. And I have a lot of opportunities to visit with people across the state. And I'm very passionate about talking about the appropriate use of, of those medium. Mm, that's a great word, Mr. Secretary. So... Uh, you know, for this next question, it, it's a rather simple question, but man, your answer could go uh, a number of different ways. So you've you've had an interesting journey in in public life, and in your role now, there's there's always you know speculation is 
Is Secretary Hargett going to run for Congress? Is is he potentially, you know, going to someday be governor of Tennessee or U.S. senator? I mean, your your name is just constantly in the news, and I'm sure that provides unique opportunities, unique challenges. So, as a as a firm believer, what made you ultimately choose this path of of public service, where your name is in the news so much? Well, honestly, I mean, I felt that call as a, a young person. I was always interested in, in learning more about government and learning more about public service because I felt like it was a great vehicle to be, help people. And I'm very passionate about that. And, you know, we get the, the way, we get the opportunity ways big and small each day where we get the, the chance to impact sometimes one Tennessean or six plus million Tennesseans. And, and so I just try and live by faith and, and hope that I am where God wants me and that whenever he doesn't want me here, he'll pick me up and fling me wherever he wants me if I'm not smart enough to get there. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that if you, if you do the things you do to try and glorify him, then opportunities come from that. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't hold myself out there as um, the, great, the great person of virtue that – um, I want, I aspire to be, and that he he wants me to be. Um, the real key there is just trying to have a heartbeat for God, and, and and recognizing that if you can try and if you can try and pay attention at heartbeat, then then good things happen for him, and if good things happen for him, trust me, they happen for you as well. Well, we sure hope that uh, if the Lord wills, that He would keep you in public service because we need people like you, and we are blessed to have people like you, and we're so thankful that that is here in Tennessee right now. So um, as you know, it is election season, and all the craziness is happening that election season sometimes brings, but especially in this moment in history. And one of your responsibilities is the operation of Tennessee's elections. So far, we've seen a record turnout of voters across the country and right here in Tennessee. And at the same time, people are worried about whether they can trust the process of voting and the results. So what sort of encouragement could you provide for our listeners about that? Great question. So, and and we've spent a lot of time talking about this and and even among secretaries of state across the country. And, And honestly, you know, I have the opportunity to meet with most of them twice a year, at least once a year. And there's a lot of fine public servants on both sides of the aisle who I believe are doing everything they can to make sure every vote is counted once, no more and no less, and to try and encourage people to participate in the process. Because I think at our core, all election officials, secretaries of state want people to come vote and participate in the process. We believe that that makes our society stronger as a whole. And and so I want to tell people here in Tennessee that you know, you hear a lot of things from both sides, you know, if, and I hate to distill it down this way, but if you are a supporter of the president, you, you know, in many ways probably talk a lot about by mail fraud and how, how ripe with fraud that is. And then if you're on the Democrat side of your president, uh, vice president Biden supporter, you're talking about voter suppression. And the truth of the matter is people on both sides are very engaged in this process. Every election commission around this state is a bipartisan election commission made up of three Republicans and two Democrats and as an election administrator and every person who is involved in the process we work to balance that out republicans and democrats so republicans and democrats are counting the votes and republicans and democrats are the ones helping you at the polling site and republicans and democrats are the ones who have the keys to the election machines that both of them have to be able to unlock doors together and count votes together things like that and these are your neighbors these are people you go to church with that you see at the grocery store that 
you know, your children have gone to school together or grandchildren have gone to school together and, um, and you may have gone to school with. And, and so it's a bipartisan effort to run these elections among Tennesseans, uh, among the people who live in your county or are counting those votes. And you ought to be able to trust them. And, and I trust them. And, I, and we've got great election officials across the state of Tennessee, both Democrat and Republican, who are doing everything they can to ensure that uh, the highest levels of voter participation as well as the integrity of the vote. That that is such a needed word, Mr. Secretary. Not not only for us here in, in Tennessee, but for our our listeners who are in all the different states uh, around the country. And just knowing that that folks like you, gifted leaders like you, are ensuring uh, the integrity of this process, I, I think should make us all as, as citizens participating uh, in uh, our, our civic duty this season rest a little easier. All right, so for this this final question, in your position, you are often at the crossroads of so many difficult decisions and competing priorities. How does your faith and what do you do in your faith uh, that, that keeps you grounded in your role? Well, I'm not trying to be cliche. It's number one, you got to pray and you got to know who your Savior is. And I can't imagine um, someone doing this job and, and not having a, a core set of beliefs that um, comes from the Bible and comes from their Savior. And, and also, any advice I have for anybody, it doesn't matter what you are in life, where you are in life, what your title is or isn't. Um, I have found that if you if you lean into the Bible, that there is so much good guidance and advice that comes from just seeking it out through his word. And, and I also have found that if you're leaning into it, that also it's also hard for you to rationalize poor behavior on your part. Um, it keeps you, it keeps you, um, it keeps you centered. It keeps you looking upward and, and keeps you looking ahead instead of looking down and, and, and making bad decisions. Well, that's good advice, not just for folks in public service. That's just good advice for Christians in general. Amen. So I, I am thankful for you, sir. All of us are. Well, I'm, I'm flattered you'd let me spend a few minutes with you. Um, just won't get people. I want people to go vote. I, I think that that I don't think I know that's how we make our voice heard in our society. It's the most fundamental way you can participate in our form of government. And um, and the one thing is, sure, if you don't go vote, all you're doing is handing over the reins of the power reigns of power to those that do. So we're all better off when we go vote our values. We just want to say thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. And honestly, especially in this election season, it's it's cool because we can know that there are uh, people full of integrity making sure that every vote counts and that the process is legitimate. And so thank you so much for your public service and especially for your Christian witness. Well, thank you. I, I aspire to live up to what you just said. So um, I, I'm grateful for that. So now it's time for The Lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. My lunchroom falls in the category of entertainment and probably kind of useless, but we've also already talked about it. However, there's a development happening this weekend, Mandalorian. For all of you Star Wars fans out there, and for all of you non-Star Wars fans, I was not a Star Wars fan, but watched the movies and found them to be very entertaining. And then Mandalorian was equally entertaining. Bonus, it's clean. And bonus, there's Baby Yoda in there. Uh, But the new season starts October 30th. So if you don't have Disney+, Plus, find a way 
uh, to get a free trial or go bunk with a neighbor who safely, <laughs> who doesn't have COVID and, um, and watch it because it will be worth your time for sure. That's basically it. Don't read social media leading up to the election. Yeah, don't do that. Don't don't bother yourself with that. Just just get lost in a fantasy land of Mandalorian. <laughs> this is the way. This is the way. <laughs> that's that's in case in case some of our our friends don't watch the Mandalorian. That's that's something that the main character says quite often. All right. Well, uh, speaking of staying off of social media, if you do feel the need to use your computer, I would highly recommend uh, going to the website 270 to win. So 270, the numbers, 220, win, W-I-N.com. Not the two reason- zero. 270. No, 270. <laughs> oh, did I say 270? 270, ah. the number. Yeah, 270, the number. <laughs> Uh, yeah just look in the show notes and you'll click right to it instead of relying on me to spell it out for you but anyways 270 to win the reason that this is a uh, favorite website for political nerds uh, every four years is because it gives you the user the ability to manipulate the uh, results in every state uh, to get to that uh, very important threshold of 270 electoral votes. That is what it takes to secure uh, your place as the next president of the United States. And so, uh, look, we all pay attention to national polls, and, and that's great. But really, we don't we don't have a national election. We have 50 state elections that go on at the exact same time. Uh, each state is worth... Uh, different different amounts in terms of the electoral votes. And so you have to piece together enough states, a coalition of states, to get to that, that magic number of 270. And so I have been on this website multiple times over the last few weeks uh, as different polling results come in from various states, uh, just seeing uh, how they may affect the overall election. So you can uh, you can try and look at the different paths that are available to to Vice President Joe Biden, uh, or look at uh, the the states that are needed for President Trump to win re-election. I I think it's just it's a fun website to be on, and it's really useful. Brent, I've spent a lot of time on 270 to win, and if that is too daunting for folks who are looking for something that's a little bit easier, there's also a link here in the show notes uh, to a tool that is on the 538 website that allows you just to choose who you think is going to win a few of the battleground states, like the true swing states, uh, that'll make it a little easier for you to decide who you think is going to win the election. I've seen a lot of friends uh, posting things from both of these websites as they are making their best guesses on what's going to happen next week. By the way, if you didn't know, you have to win 270 electoral votes because that is a majority of the number of electors. How many electors are there? Well, here's something that can help you. If you can remember the website 538, it's called 538 because there are 538 presidential electors or electoral votes in the electoral college. So there you go. There's a history lesson for today. And the last thing I would tell you in terms of on stream is something that our friend uh, Trevin Wax wrote a piece this week that was really, really good. And it was uh, titled, Why Many Americans Will Be Shocked on Election Day. And 
you should read it. But if you don't read it, here's here's the payoff. He basically talks about what, what people call the big sort, the fact that uh, across the country, we have tended to group ourselves into into cities or regions or you know geographical areas where we are surrounded by people who think like us. There are people uh, who are in heavily red or Republican areas who are fully expecting Donald Trump to win next week. There are people in really blue areas who are fully expecting Joe Biden to win next week. And many people are going to be surprised because we create for ourselves these kind of feedback loops that sometimes don't necessarily represent uh, the way that different people across the country are thinking. We're, we're, we're fed information that we are already inclined to believe. And so anyway, I would encourage you to look at Trevin's piece because you don't want to be that person that wakes up uh, the day after the election and is totally surprised by the results. So check out uh, Trevin's piece at TGC to gain a little bit of insight there. Trevin is a, a good, wise voice uh, to pay attention to. Uh, whether it's in, you know, an election season like this or really any season. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week after election day with more content. Mm-hmm.